0: Welcome to Academic Conversations with Martin and Martin. I'm Alicia. I'm Mary. We are sharing content that supports and empowers students, parents, and educators. On this episode, we will be discussing non-traditional instruction. Mary, how are you during this epidemic?
1: Well, pandemic. I feel like we've taken a giant step backward in our podcasting skills. What do you think? I think
0: so. I miss our little recording booth.
1: But here we are back to um, audacity. Thankfully, we got that working, and I have you on the phone. So you are the special guest, Ms. Merton. It's weird not being able to
0: see you. <laughs> I, know. To see you I know.
1: Face-to-face. I know. Face to face. I mean, do not like we're that. Try
0: this.
1: Yeah. I know. But here we are together, and boy, we've had some unique experiences since we last made a podcast, haven't we?
0: Yes, and a lot to to talk about.
1: Yeah, are you ready to dig in? As
0: educators, it's different, yes. Yeah. A lot to say. Do you want to start?
1: Yeah. Do you want to start off with some of the challenges that we faced getting non-traditional instruction going with all of our students in our elementary schools?
0: We work at the same school district, school system, and as you know, um, not all of our buildings are one-to-one, so that's been a challenge. Not all of our families either have a computer at home or even have... Um, internet access or Wi-Fi capabilities so That has been an
1: issue. I want to clarify, too, that when you say one-to-one, that includes um, access at school because our schools don't have, some of them have one-to-one devices, but, and we're, again, just to clarify, this is elementary level. It's different in middle and high school, but for our elementary kids, um, there are some schools that have one-to-one, that means a device for every kid to use if they all want to use it at the same time they all can, Um, but my school doesn't have that. Most, my I would say, most not. elementary schools don't have one to one.
0: My school is working on it, but yeah. we are just not there yet. Um, yes. So when this hit, the, the timing—it was. Uh, although our our school district has done a good job to make efforts to get the technology into the hands of, of students,
1: but yes, we I just were not
0: were not where we needed to be. So, and then an, another layer to that is of our families have multiple children who are in school, and so although our district worked hard and got those devices out there, it was maybe one per household. So if you have seven children that are sharing one device, that can complicate matters, and they have to share their time on the tablet or on the device, and so it just, who do you give more time to, and, and so forth. So it's been challenging for a lot of our families, mm-hmm. right? We we are we are teaching at the same time that that our children are home. Mm-hmm. I also have a, a um, son in high school that is going through this process as well. But he has had his device that he got from his school since he began school, so he's he's been used to this. He's used Google Classroom, yeah. so he, this is not a big deal. He knew exactly what to do. He was already familiar. He's had assignments before. He knows how the grading works. Mm-hmm. So for for him, it, he, of course, he misses his friends. He wants to be at you know an insightful building, but we're <laughs> yeah. trying to balance that too. I'm working online, and I know a lot of a lot of families and a lot of educators are dealing with that too. They have children at home that they're trying to help, and now um, they have to teach as well through this process. So it's been difficult. So beyond the devices, of course, I'm one of my roles. in in my building is to help teachers their lessons and so forth, and my focus is reading and writing. So, thinking about kindergarten, who I work with closely, and how we are designing lessons for these kindergarten students to use at home has been challenging. How do we ensure that that the content we're delivering is engaging for them, but appropriate, Mm -hmm. and Many of our kids don't have materials at home, so we are completely relying on the materials online, which we know is not always best best practice for students learning how to read. Right. It's been something that we've had to kind of navigate through and say, okay, what are we going to use? What materials are best? But I have to say that the teachers have done a great job of really digging in and creating their own, because there was not a lot out there pre-made for them to just kind of download and use. And so I think that's been a positive experience. And, uh, that's, and that's at the kindergarten level, together. right? Yeah. It's at my kindergarten level. And my first grade has been good about that, too. Um, mm-hmm. I have just worked more closely with kindergarten because this is a whole new realm for us. Like I said, we, we were not one to one. hmm building and because they're just learning how to read we put actual books in their hands, magazines in their hands and Mm -hmm. so it's a very hands-on experience there in classroom for for reading and writing you know magnetic letters to build words and so we weren't really in that digital world yet in the kindergarten classroom so we were but not not in the aspect of learning how to read
1: some of those activities and skills and strategies we know our best learned face to face because you can't respond yeah. as easily without that face to face connection.
0: Yes, and they're so used to talking to each other
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: um about what they see in the book and the pictures on the page and 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 although many of our students and, and families are logging on, it might not be at the same time. You have to work around, mm-hmm. you know, maybe some parents are working and yeah. so you may log on some kids might be there at 10 a.m some kids may be there at 6 uh, p.m in the evening so you're you're missing that whole group feel and community of a reading classroom
1: so yeah. I miss the inside it. jokes you know we have yeah. I, I realize we have inside jokes with one another in our small groups and um I've even tried to enact some of those things on you know sending a message to uh, google classroom and it just kind of falls flat it's like oh you got to really be together you know for that to come across and they're very
0: distracted i mean even though you're in kind of your you know your zoom or or google meet or whatever platform you're using you know there's a lot of stuff going on in your in their homes or somebody can't figure out how to mute or unmute themselves and so there, there's a lot of distractions there that you would not have in the regular classroom during a read aloud or, or during a lesson.
1: One thing I want to point out too is a language barrier because I know you've worked with a lot of students and families at your school who speak other languages as their first um, language than English and it's just been very challenging for me and I know your teachers too to try to figure out how to connect and consistently um, support the families. In some ways, this pandemic has really shown where the gaps are in support, I think.
0: Yes, I would
1: agree. And the yeah. families have risen to the occasion, especially I can't say enough yeah. about the older siblings, the big brothers and big sisters who are helping you know, helping their younger siblings. I don't know what we would do without that because they're being very generous and kind and helpful with their time.
0: Yes, sharing their devices, sharing their yeah. phones, mm-hmm. or maybe they normally would not do that. Right, they're open and, and willing to do that, which has been wonderful. Yeah, and yes, a lot of our a lot of our teachers have spent time, most of their time, really not talking about the content questions, but actually, how do you log in or what yeah. are the passwords? Were so they really have worked well to help our families navigate through this through this time. But, yes, there are a lot of apps still. Yeah. And a lot of barriers. But.
1: And I think going back to one of your other points about teachers creating their own content, I think that's been a challenge. For, I just think that you can see some pre-made content that's just being kind of plugged in and... And teachers have been encouraged to do that to a point, so I can't fault them for sure, it. Sure, But right. on the other hand, I think that there comes a time when you have to see yourself as the content creator, you know? And so you have to think about the content, how you want to teach it, and then what tools are available for that. Yeah, and,
0: and I've seen a, a lot, too, about parents have been asking, okay, it's not enough. They, they've already completed this work at home. What can I do? What's next? I need more. Which of course because we we're, we're told less is more, which understandably depending on um the household numbers and the time. But I also think that we are we are missing so many of those instructional minutes and that good explicit instruction that they're used to all day long. They're yeah. just immersed in content. It's all day and I just I don't know if the digital world can really replicate it, Yeah, replicate, replicate
1: yeah. I agree. And we had that conversation at uh, my school, you know, some of the teachers were expressing that, well, there's so many people added to each Google classroom, everybody has their own thing. And I see that as a positive thing. And I said that I said, that means our kids are really well supported, you know, when there's an ECE resource teacher, and there's an ESL teacher, and there's an interventionist for one subject and something else, you know, those are really all the people whose hands are on kids and who are working with them. And then there's all the arts, you know, and the itinerant people. And all of those things are important. I think when parents see it in a classroom setting online, it really makes it clear to them how many people are working closely with their kids but i
0: think that really highlights and it showcases how many people really care about kids and i I think that that for so long it's been this gloom and doom because of the news or you know not the the positive stories are never highlighted you know always the negative stuff spells and uh, i mean the kids are so excited to see one another on the on the screens but then when certain teachers pop in they're just like (gasps) You're so-and-so miss so-and-so it's, and it's just like you're you're a salute. they haven't seen you in years <laughs> and because they have those emotional personal connections do. with them on a day-to-day basis and, they do and the teachers are depressed too like they they miss them they do they miss their kids and and, and they're excited to see them and, and hear from them and making so many phone calls weekly and doing whatever they can sometimes they do home visits still to say okay i haven't heard from this child we need to reach out we've we've Done email. We've done text. We've called this family member, that family member, and so I think they're just they're they're really trying to connect with every single student.
1: I think that's true. It it's true definitely from my perspective. And going back to the to the personal relationship, I put just this past week um, a video. I had my daughter take a video of me showing my students where I do my work. You know, I showed them my desk, I showed them my bookshelf, all my pens, which they know I love pens. And they saw my little pen pouch that I always have out. And I just wanted them to see, you know, I said, here's what a teacher's desk might look like. This is what mine looks like. Here's where I work. Where do you work? And then I got so many comments back, not just from kids, but teachers, too, who said, that's amazing. I love that, you know, because yeah. that's what they want to know. Where are you and, and what are you doing? And that's what are I want to you know right? about them, too. So I thought, well, I it was a little bit embarrassing <laughs> to know that other people watched. But <laughs> <laughs> it was it was I'm glad I did that. I didn't do it again this week, but we know we're out. We know in our district we're out until the end of school, which is at the end of May now. So. There's that. But one thing I want to mention about parents too, and you said home visits, I've done some home visits myself, and that has been, as always, you know, home visits are so eye opening. They teach you so much about your families. And I work in a magnet school, so we're all across the city that you and I work in. And so I can look on a map. I've worked across many different schools in the past, so I can look on a map and I know pretty much what it's like where the kids live. But to actually drive up to the house and knock on the door you know, and you don't have kids waving at you from the front step. And it's just something else. It's something different. And I think one thing that's been important to see here is that parents are not just this static entity. Like you don't contact a parent one time and they tell you something once and that's it. You know, like we've had a lot of parents who've said they wanted a a Chromebook or some other device, and then they change their mind because they realize that that wasn't going to work for their younger kid, or the parent, you know, had one set of situations going on at one during one discussion, and, and that changed. And of course, it does. You know, that's true for all of us. So we can't just, you know, reach out once. We have to just keep on doing that because the home, the home situation changes. It,
0: yeah, and it's been and it's been good because. A lot of the parents that we have maybe spoken to on the phone, we actually get to see them through the screen. They've joined our meetings, and that's awesome as well mm-hmm. because you can see the students how interact and, mm-hmm. and like you said, how you were taking that that video of of your desk and where you work, they're showing you their room and <laughs> yeah, you know, they're they're taking you on a tour of the house, and otherwise, we would probably never see that. So it's just another another layer. Another way to get to know
1: them. And to clarify again, the reason we don't know that for all of our kids is because we are in a huge district. We are in a huge right. district where right. kids have school choices and they're not, it's not the typical like how you and I grew up. And a lot of people grew up where it's your neighborhood and the teachers know you. And they might even live in the neighborhood. It's not like that for us. So, um, right. yeah, this has been eye-opening in that way too, being able to kind of get into the... Yeah into a more um, intimate setting with the kids and their families.
0: It's been good. And my, my favorite part is when we're we're in a meeting and another s- sibling in another grade. will pop on the screen.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: And then they're like, hi, how are you? And so to, yeah. to see them, with, and you see them at school, but to see them uh, with their siblings, mm-hmm. grade, that's been pretty great.
1: Um, Absolutely. I love that too. Right. It's so, I don't know. It's, it's, God, it's pluses, definitely pluses and minuses. I feel like it's something that is not meant to be the way that we do everything, but it could be the way we do some things. You know, it's not, it's most things in life, we need a balance. We need kind of thinking about the hybrid model and what should be online maybe and what needs to be face to face and that... Moves me to our next discussion topic, which is what about reading instruction? You mentioned that a little bit. So what are some of the pluses and minuses? And you can just pick anything you want. But what is a plus or a minus as far as, and we're thinking about elementary kids again, ones who are still learning how to read. How does right. this impact reading instruction?
0: Well, I'll start with a plus. I work with all grades, but I've been working really closely with kindergarten, my guess because we're used to being so hands on and together and so this has been a whole new world for us and for our kids. And so really looking through YouTube videos where where the stories are, you know, the stories are really alive and, and the readers are uh, really animated. We've used those. We've had some teachers read to their students. So them actually listening to the stories have been wonderful. It's hard to get them to apply some of the deeper comprehension strategies along with that Mm -hmm. and trying to figure out how to actually do that Mm -hmm. and how to get that content across. Luckily, we're toward the end of the year, so we have at least talked about once or several times before this, so it's more review at this point. Actually having to introduce a comprehension strategy this way, I think would be very challenging because they're, like I said, again, it's, it's a lot of discourse that they have to have around comprehension strategies. You're creating those anchor charts together. And yes, you can do it on screen, but it's just not the same. You just don't have the same involvement. And, and mm-hmm. the attention is not there. It's hard enough to keep Kindergarten's attention as it is. Yeah. So you can imagine when the dogs bark in the background or somebody can't hear or you're moving around and they hear the static in the screen. And my son had made a, a good point. He was in high school and he was watching me kind of make this um, some of these videos. And, and he said, You know, kids don't just want to sit there and watch a video. Mm-hmm. He's like, Not every child learns that way. You know, and, mm-hmm. and I thought, you're right, especially a five year old. I think we think that, but they—they they are natural conversationalists. They like—they like to give their opinions and and break down and, and talk about the pictures as well as the words. And so, I, I, I think there's, um, there are pros and cons. It's engaging, and I, and I do think that they're even though it is based on uh, what standard we're working on the teachers have a little bit more autonomy, Uh, they have loosened up. And so they're free to be a little bit more creative, maybe are being allowed to to teach in ways they maybe would have not been able to do. Mm -hmm. Not because of frustration, but just maybe they didn't have the technology or or just wouldn't have been conducive to what they would have normally done. Mm -hmm. So I think in, in that aspect, it's been good for reading. They're really having to dig in and really to think about, okay, what's the best way to get this information across in this medium that we have?
1: And that's from the teacher's perspective. That's from the teacher's perspective. Yeah. I wanted to add to that, too, just the fact that it seems like oral language, it's always a theme. That's the one thing it's really hard to capture. It's almost impossible to capture, even on Zoom, even with Google Meet, Skype, whatever you have. It's still not the same as face-to-face discourse, conversation, academic discussion. All of those things require so many uh, reading of facial cues and body language and recasts and and things that we can't really do easily, especially when our um, Wi-Fi is so, our internet is so overloaded right now, at least in our city. It is really, it seems like other people's are too from what I've heard, but Um, What I want to say is that there are apps. There are ones uh, specifically that I like called ClassKick and one is Seesaw, which I've talked about before. Those do allow you to add um, audio and other pedagogical considerations to some of the basic um, assignments that are put into Google Classroom or whatever platform people are using. But it still doesn't meet that in the moment, face to face, and also the manipulatives are not the same as they are when they're in kids' hands. I am using, uh, yeah, I'm using virtual manipulatives, be- and kids don't go from needing them to not needing them because they're on a digital, you know, or there's a video. I'm glad your son said that because a video doesn't make everything easy just because you can watch it. As, and otherwise, we would just use videos all the time. But the truth, too, is that a lot of our struggling readers who need those supports, they're the ones who've had the least consistent access to technology. You know, the kids now have the book Chromebooks or laptops, devices, and Wi-Fi because our city has supported that happening. You know, that's not usually the case. And so the kids that need the most creative application and use of the tech are the ones who probably don't use it as much at home in that way to me that's a that's a plus and a minus you know there's a plus that we can add some of those things but the minus is that they need more and they don't have as many chances to during the school year regular school year to practice using those things right right
0: and and no matter what age or grade they need actual print text I mean it's um there, yeah. There's a researcher, Marion Wolf, who we talked about before.
1: Yeah.
0: That says that if um, if a student reads something in print, they're more likely to to absorb it, to comprehend it, to remember it, as if they would read the same exact content online. Then they absorb less less of it. Right. Um, it takes yes. More concentration. So I, I worry about that too. We we know a lot of our a lot of our kids do not have. Uh, materials that they need to read at home. And so with with being out of school for two months and, mm-hmm. and then with the summer months coming up, that's a, that's a concern.
1: Yeah, with, with I'm reading. trying to figure that out. I sent my kids home with a whole bunch of books um, that we had donated to our classroom. First grade teachers especially were or- reorganizing their class libraries and they donated lots of books to our ESL classroom and I bagged those up and sent them home. And for a lot of the kids, when I first talked to them, I said, what have you been doing? They said, "We well, I read every book in the bag. <laughs> it's interesting, the plus and minus for reading instruction online is that a plus is they have to read to do the work, and a minus is that they have to read to do the work. Right. Um, some of the kids can't read proficiently enough to be able to understand the directions, and if you're using a platform that doesn't have audio enabled, you know, easily, teachers can easily use that, then you are making it more difficult for a big subset of kids. And I know that's not just probably elementary students either. But back to the differences in online reading and in-person reading, you just brought up a really good point about research. There's a lot of research showing that... um, Reading comprehension is better on paper than screens. And a detail to add to that is that it's mainly informational text that that applies to. And you have talked about that quite a bit in your own reading life about how you can't listen to a book that's informational if you want to retain it. But it also, a lot of the research says that if you want to retain informational text, you need to actually read it and not read it online. And they're not sure why. They're not sure why it is. I think that's interesting. I know I've mentioned before my own kids who are in college now have said that whenever they're taking notes, they have to do it by hand or when they are reading an informational text, read it, uh, you know, in a way that's as similar to a paper copy as they can get because that's how they remember it. And that's just from trial and error that they figured that out on their own.
0: Yeah, I think, and uh, Mary and Wolf have said before that when we read online now, we're just becoming um, experts scammers. We just, that's, that, that is what we do. And to read deeply, we have to go below the surface. And if all we do is, is, um, get our print from the digital format, it's, it's hard to go deep and, and have that, um, concentration and attention that you need to get lost in a book.
1: Yeah. She has a quote here from a recent um, interview she did with the Washington Post. It was in January of this year. She said that when you skim, you're missing words, you're missing clues, you're missing your ability to put your background information to work in the most productive way. And I thought, you know, as much as background, we know that background knowledge and information is the key to text comprehension and that, you know, the vocabulary is a huge piece of that. Conceptual knowledge is a huge part of that. And so when her research tells us that, you're missing out on the ability to use those things when you're skimming, then you know that tells us a lot about what's going to take place during online reading if kids continue to skim. And the skimming, I do that too. Online, I skim to find what I am most interested in and then just read that chunk. Because that seems like that's what online reading is. And that's because mostly what we use it for is entertainment and social connection. We haven't I don't Hi. think we taught kids right away, which we really missed out on this as a society. We didn't teach kids that these are tools for learning. These these smartphones and all the things they have, we mostly use them for entertainment and tell them to put them away when it's time to learn. <laughs> and that's backwards. We should have yeah. we should have come about at that a different way. But now there's a whole generation of kids who see the phone as fun and you know, online work is not the same as school work. And so at some point, it seems like that needs to mesh.
0: I think I think her, her whole point in, in saying that is that if a majority of your reading is online, mm-hmm. then, then that is the type of reading you're going to do. So when you do return back to, let's say, a magazine or a book, you're going to skim it. That's the, you know, that's the type of, of reading that you are mostly doing.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So she she really pushes this bi literate brain of reading, you mm-hmm. know, where where we have to to be able to do it in print and then move back and forth to the digital world but but you have to have explicit instruction in both and you have to have access mm-hmm. and practice in both worlds. And you and I've talked about this before about mm-hmm. if everybody's online all the time, what's that going to be mm-hmm. for um, you know for books so' it's, it's nice to see that um, celebrities and you know people that that the student uh, that the kids follow online a lot of them are into book clubs that and, and mm-hmm. they are still promoting reading and books yeah. which I think is is important because yeah. they need we all need both you and I are all going to do that because we grew up with you know there was not technology when I was little it was just right you know, we're book right and then we've grown up in this in this time but at first, for kids now, these devices are all that they've probably seen. The device maybe before they've seen the book, yeah. possibly their world. You know, and so it's important I think as as teachers to really understand mm-hmm. that both have a place and and both are important. They're online going maybe you know being seen as the newest greatest thing and. And kind of shut some of those old practices aside if we're not
1: careful. It seems like people have noticed some of the same issues. You know, if kids have trouble focusing, they're having trouble focusing on with online tasks too. School yes. type tasks. If they are not interested in reading, then they're not interested in reading. After the novelty wears off, they're not that interested in reading what the teacher's putting in the classroom online. You know, it's the same. It's not technology doesn't fix kids learning issues it what it is is it's just another tool for us to use to get through to kids so it's it still requires a very knowledgeable teacher to be the one who creates the content and cultivates that relationship and connection i don't see my own son any more excited about doing the work in his least favorite class, you know, in high school on the computer as he is at school. It's the same to him either way. It's the same. It's the same content. It's the same way that content's being delivered. It's just on a different platform. The other thing I wanted to say, too, because you were talking about both, you know, both worlds, the digital and the non-digital, is that Marianne Wolf says that we should see digital and non-digital reading as two different languages, digital reading and print reading, two different languages with different advantages. And, you know, as a, as a language, you know, teacher, I feel that so strongly. Two languages, more than one language, more than one way, is really valuable one in so many ways. I'm so happy that she put it like that. She's not saying one's good and one's not.
0: Right. I mean, her book is just amazing. And it's, and it's perfect for right now. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's been out for a couple of years, but it's perfect for, this is the perfect time. I mm-hmm. mean, she, where she's written about, we're, we're living it.
1: Exactly. Um, yes. And she said, if I could just share one more of her quotes from the article from the Post, she said, immersive reading with its ability to take on other perspectives and ideas has implications for the basic stuff of society. Empathy connection, contemplation and a richer emotional life. And I know some would say that's, you know, academia, that's high up in the sky. But it's really not. It's about us being able to connect to one another and, and how if we can do that, we can be so productive, because we are immersed in the reading and we our attention and our focus is all there. And that's when we have our deepest ideas and our, you know, our thinking gets most creative. And, I just really think that she's fighting for something that is worth paying attention to.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think, I think that if the teachers now had not been immersed in those stories and they had not gotten to experience the emotions of characters, we wouldn't be doing what we're doing right now. It it takes empathy. It takes all of those emotions to reach out and and connect. I Mm -hmm. mean, we see it. I mean, it's, you know, in some instances it takes my breath away because it's they they just care so much and, and they feel what their families are going through and they're going above and beyond to making sure yeah. everybody has what they need. They're answering the phone at ten o'clock at night. I mean they, they are and, and you you can't do that if you're not if you don't care. Right. And and if you're not empathetic and sympathetic to what's going on in your world. So and it shows we really do and and I want our kids to have that same, you know what, we're gonna pull together. We're in, one another. Literacy is a part of
1: that. Definitely. I mean, of that. Yeah. I love how she refers to it as immersive reading. She doesn't say it's immersive oh, yeah. digital or immersive print. She says immersive. And it's just, I think the caution there is that when you're reading online, there's so many opportunities to get distracted. You know, it's just it's a yeah. distraction machine. It's built that way. People have purposely created apps and things that grab people's attention especially young people's attention and try to keep it and so you know if you can read immersively on di- on a digital device then great but if you sometimes need to break away from that and go a different route then you know that's what she's talking about she's talking about becoming she calls it falling into a book a lot and i just think that's a great way to say it it's where you are so into what you're reading that you're someplace else. You're someone else. You know, and that's what we need to be able to do with all of our kids. I think they'll be happy that we tried that to do that and gave them that. If, and
0: and I think I think part of doing that is going going back to what we talked about in the beginning of this podcast is they um, teachers are actually making decisions about content, and it's not just mm-hmm. I just saw this online, so I'm going to use this. It looks cute. It's really about okay how am I going to get this concept or this skill or this standard across what text am I going to use
1: right. I need
0: something that you know my kids are going to connect to um, yeah and whether to make them laugh or cause, because they're not just thinking about the content anymore yeah you know they're, they're thinking about lifting their spirits and mm-hmm. they're thinking about what they're going through and mm-hmm. and we, we did that before but I think this just takes them up a notch I miss them.
1: I miss them too. Oh gosh. Yeah. And tomorrow's a new day, so we start that calling and checking, you know, we're doing it as a team. Some of us are able to get through to some kids' families easier than others and that's been nice too. It feels like we're all a team. We're all working with all the kids. I have lots of people saying, "Have you talked to this family? Have you talked to this kid?" and vice versa. So, it's good. So, um, that's us, you know, 3 weeks in to non-traditional non-traditional instruction, right? And that's how we're going to end the school year. That's how we're going to end the school year. It's going to be difficult to not be able to see everyone, but we'll be all the happier to see their little faces whenever we can and especially when school starts back well
0: this was fun this was fun
1: yeah we'll get this one put out and then um hopefully we'll get back on our schedule with making our podcasts they're going to not sound as wonderful as they do when we're in our borrowed studio but um hey we're still here doing the best we can right that's right all right well until next time goodbye and hopefully your online instruction is going great Stay safe.